0: Confession. I forget that life isn't about me. I know. Even after all these years of stumbling and trying to follow God, it's like, hey Jesus, wait up. I think I took a wrong turn. It's because I mess up. I get distracted. I get selfish. I miss opportunities for God to work in me, to use me. For other people. I should know better and I do know better but sometimes knowing isn't enough. I need reminders, I need advice, I need help, I need grace to help me live with grace. Whenever I manage in some small way to love like Jesus would, to wear myself out for someone, to let go of something I thought was mine, something fills me back up. Is that the Holy Spirit? I know that sometimes something beyond myself or or someone sort of nudges me to take a step that surprises me, to do something I didn't think I was ready for or could handle. You know, those moments, those often change my day, sometimes even my life. Can I get more of that? I'll take all the help and all the grace I can get. Can someone just show me how?
1: Well, if we're honest, I think we would all admit to the same kind of struggle that this character John has just described for us. We, we know the kind of people we want to be and the kind of life we want to live but we just can't seem to pull it off consistently we get it right for a while we get it right for a season and it feels really great but then we find ourselves slipping back into old ways of operating that are not nearly as satisfying or helpful or or beautiful we might describe it as a sort of a jekyll and hyde syndrome Now, do people still read that old Gothic novel? I don't know. It used to be required reading in high school English. But the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde tells the story of this respected, accomplished gentleman doctor named Dr. Jekyll, who is disturbed by some of the darker impulses he feels inside of him. And so he develops this serum that he hopes will repress those evil impulses. But instead, to his surprise, the serum actually unleashes them and transforms him into an unpleasant, actually violent character who becomes known as Mr. Hyde. Now, for a while, Dr. Dr. Jekyll is able to control these transformations But after some time passes, they begin to come on him unexpectedly, often at night. And they send him out into the street to do all kinds of evil and violent things. In the end, Dr. Jekyll decides that the only way to bring an end to Mr. Hyde's evil behavior is to take his own life, which he does. So it's not really bedtime reading (laughs) if you want to just drift off to sleep after that. Powerful story. Now, if you're not familiar with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you're probably familiar with this guy, the Incredible Hulk. As you may not know it, but this character was actually inspired by the Jekyll and Hyde story. Stan Lee, the Marvel comic uh, book writer, created this character, Dr. Bruce Banner, this respectable physician, scientist, rather, who who, because of some gamma ray exposure, finds that when he's under stress, he gets transformed into this uh, surly, muscular, green-skinned, ill-tempered humanoid known as the Hulk. And uh, the storyline of Banner's life becomes how he manages these twin impulses that are resident within him. Now I'm going to stop there because that's absolutely all I know about The Incredible Hulk and I'll only make Marvel comic fans mad if I keep on going. So I'll just leave it at that. But the point is, this war within is a common experience to every human being. We all recognize that we, we have these darker tendencies, these evil impulses that all too often just seem to get the best of us. And it's especially troubling for Christian people who thought we were free from all of that, that we find ourselves slipping back into those old, hurtful, unpleasant, and sometimes ugly ways of living and being. So how do we get on the other side of those struggles? That's what I think this character John was asking in the video. It's what we'd all want to know. Can we ever experience real joy and victory over those dark tendencies in our lives? And if we can, how can we? That's the question. So for three months now, we've been talking about grace about God's grace to us. What it means, what it is, how we can experience it more fully. Not just understand it, but actually be shaped by it. Three months. And for the most part, it has been all good news. Grace is the undeserved, unexpected, unbelievable goodness of God to every human being. Grace means that every human being is loved and valued no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how near or far they may be from God. It's all grace, loved and valued. That's good news. The even better news is that when any human being turns to God through faith in Christ, God not only forgives that person for all our sins and failures, past, present, and future, but then begins helping us and setting us free to become the people that we want to be and to live the lives we want to live. That's great news. So if it's all good news, this grace of God, why do we still struggle with with sin and with failure? With those darker tendencies, whatever they may be in each one of our lives. Why are we tempted by them? Why do we give in to them? even when we come to the altar and we pray and we repent again and again and again, they just keep seem, seem to keep getting the best of us. This is actually the final message in our three-month series that we've called Experiencing Grace. And the goal of this series is that we would not only understand grace, but that we'd actually experience, that we taste it and touch it and feel it and actually be shaped by it in our personal lives, in our homes, and, and in our community as a community of Christ followers. It's been a wonderful series and I trust you've had some meaningful moments. But as we finish up today, we want to understand how we can experience grace fully in every part of our lives, even the part of our lives in which we struggle. So before we dig into our passage for today and try to find an answer, I'd like you to be thinking about your darker tendencies, about the evil impulses, about the Mr. Hyde that might live inside of you. Who or what do you become in your dark worst moments? Because my hope and our prayer is that what we talk about here today will provide us with a path to freedom from those things. So let's go to a, what is probably the most familiar and the most loved passage in the entire book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 25. I think it will help if we read the whole thing together, kind of back and forth as we do, and then we'll take it apart a little bit. So Galatians 5, 16 through 25, I'll begin and you can respond. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. the flesh, the 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 acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Remember, this book is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a community of Christian people who were confused, who were struggling because of some false teaching. This false teaching had them convinced that even though they had been saved, forgiven by grace, they had to live by the law, specifically by the 600-plus laws of first-century Judaism. And so Paul spends five chapters trying to set them straight. Helping them understand that just as they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, they also are supposed to live by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So five chapters, he lays it all out there. But he knows as he comes to the end of the letter, they're still probably struggling because they know their darker tendencies. And this grace thing is hard to understand because... If there are no rules telling them what they can do and can't do, then what's to stop them from doing whatever they want? And if there are no rituals to make things right after they do things wrong, then how can they be sure they're still loved and children of God? And we can probably understand that thinking because there's really not a religious system on the planet that doesn't offer rules and rituals for managing behavior. Rules that tell us what we're supposed to do and not do, and then rituals, ways of making amends for the times that we break those rules. Every religious system has those. And if I can make a sweeping generalization, in my experience, Protestant Christians and maybe evangelicals in particular have sort of specialized in making rules. Don't drink, don't dance, don't gossip, don't smoke, don't oh, do all kinds of things. There are all kinds of things that you're not allowed to do. And Catholic Christians tend to specialize in rituals for making things right after you've done things wrong. Well, confession or go to Mass and things like that. And the only reason I know that, because I'm thinking back to my high school days when friends would go to parties that I couldn't go to, but they could go because they were going to go to confession or Mass the next day and it would be okay. <laughs> so... I'm not sure that's how it worked, but that's how I remember it. So I better move on quickly or I'll get in trouble. But (laughs) the problem with this way of thinking, this religious way of living, is that neither rituals or rules really work. They, They can't change us on the inside. Rules can get us to behave a certain way for a certain period of time. And rituals can assuage our guilt for a certain period of time. But before long, we drift back into those old unhealthy ways of living and we feel badly about it all over again and we just feel stuck. We're still not free from what Paul calls the flesh. Let's talk about that expression for a minute because it's confusing. When Paul talks about the flesh, he's not talking about our bodies or about our physical desires. There's nothing wrong with our bodies. Well, maybe there are a few things wrong with just about all of our bodies, but what I mean to say is there's nothing evil about our bodies or about our physical desires. There's nothing wrong with the desire to eat and drink and laugh and celebrate and to express our sexuality. God gave us those things to enjoy and to celebrate in relationship with Him in ways that are healthy and good and satisfying. I mean, this is Thanksgiving week. We're going to do a lot of eating and drinking and laughing and celebrating, I think. And you can do all those things to the glory of God. Karen and I are driving out to Lancaster, PA to see my parents and their retirement community, and we are going to whoop it up out there. I'm just (laughs) telling you, okay? So I hope you have fun too. So when Paul talks about the flesh, he's not talking about our bodies and our desires. He's talking about our fallen nature about the image of God within each one of us that's been corrupted and twisted so that we turn ourselves inward instead of outward towards others and towards God. He's talking about that false self that we talked about last week, the self we pretend to be, the self we think we have to be to to make it in this world. And we all have that false self, that Mr. Hyde living within us. And we tend to follow those darker tendencies and those evil impulses sometimes when we're tired or stressed or distracted or lazy or who knows what else. And all too often that fallen nature takes over and we find ourselves doing things that we don't want to do or being people that we don't want to be. In this passage, Paul describes some of those unpleasant, unhealthy, downright ugly ways to be and to live. Immorality, debauchery, idolatry, discord, rage, dissension, envy, drunkenness. None of us in our better moments want to do or be these things because we know they wreak havoc on our lives and our families and our relationships and on our society. Like Dr. Jekyll, we we get mad at ourselves. We're ashamed of ourselves. We promise ourselves again and again, we're not going to do that thing ever again, but then we do. And no matter how many rules or rituals we have in place, we can't seem to get ahead of these dark tendencies. Listen to how one Christ follower describes it, this this war within. He writes, I really don't know what's wrong with me sometimes. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, and my conscience tells me I'd be better off doing it God's way. But I can't help myself. Because there's something inside me making me do these wrong things. Man, what is wrong with me? Who will free me from this rotten way of living? That sound familiar? Those aren't the words of any old Christ follower. Those are the words of Paul himself. The man who wrote this letter, writing in another letter, describes his inability, even after coming to faith in Christ, his inability to to defeat the Mr. Hyde within him. So he's asking in this passage the same question that our friend John was asking in the video, the same question that we're all asking. Who can help me? How can I be free from all of this? And the answer is grace. The answer is allowing God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And grace tells us that God not only forgives us when we welcome Him into our lives, He actually helps us now to become the person we want to be. Instead of giving us rules and rituals to govern our behavior, He gives us Himself, His very presence in the person of the Holy Spirit to help us live the life and be the person that we want to be. Now let's talk about the Holy Spirit for just a moment. The Holy Spirit is simply the spirit of of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus. Remember, when Jesus was leaving this earth and His disciples were wondering how they were going to make it without Him, He promised them that He would not leave them alone, that He would send His Holy Spirit to be with them. Not just to be with them, but to be in them. Now, this was big news. You have to understand because in their Old Testament understanding of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit would come upon this person or that person for a period of time, would show up in this situation or that situation and then disappear. But now Jesus was saying the Holy Spirit would not only be with every one of them, but in every one of them. And not just in every one of them, but in every Christ follower, everywhere, every time, everywhere, including you and me. This is good news. This is the grace of God that He doesn't give us rules and rituals. He gives us Himself. Himself to live the the life He calls us to live from within and change us from the inside out. So life with God is not about keeping rules and rituals. It's about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And we begin to see the genius of this, why it had to be this way. What made us think that This war within could be won by something outside of us, by rules or rituals. The war within had to be won within. Won by something or someone stronger than our darker impulses. Someone stronger than our Mr. Hyde. And that someone is Jesus himself in the person of the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in us the very moment we turn to God in faith. He sends His Holy Spirit to live within us. And in contrast to those ugly behaviors that Paul described earlier, he goes on to describe what a person looks like when they're filled with the Spirit. Things like love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. As I said, this is probably the most famous verse in the whole letter of Galatians. These nine qualities we typically refer to as the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we're going to not take the time to define each one of them today. We've done that many times before. I think it's enough now to say that these nine things are way more attractive, way more satisfying than that other way of living Paul described earlier. But don't miss the fact that Paul calls them the fruit of the spirit, not the works of the spirit. Fruit is the natural outgrowth of a healthy plant. Paul is choosing this metaphor very intentionally. An an apple tree will produce apples, a grapevine will produce grapes. Paul wants us to understand that these things are not produced by human effort, They're produced by the life that's already inside of us, the life of the Holy Spirit. A grapevine doesn't try to produce grapes. It just produces grapes as long as that branch is connected to the vine. And in the same way, life with God isn't about trying harder. It's about relying more. It's not about trying harder. It's about relying more. Instead of trying to be loving and patient and kind and good, we rely on God's Spirit to help us be loving and patient and kind and good. So how does that happen? How do we actually experience that kind of life, that kind of grace on a daily basis? That's what John is asking. Not just once in a while, but how do we experience that consistently? The next few verses, Paul explains how it works. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So the work of the Spirit begins with a decision, a decision to die to an old way of living, that self-reliant, self-serving, self-sufficient way of living, and to ask Christ to fill us by His Holy Spirit with this new life, the life of Christ within us. The moment we accept Christ as our Savior, turning to God in faith, He he sends His Holy Spirit to live within us. That very moment, unfortunately, many Christian people are not experiencing the fullness of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. There are all kinds of reasons for that. Sometimes it's simply a lack of understanding. We, We just don't know who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit operates. The Spirit has often been called the most neglected member of the Trinity. So sometimes we just don't know about the Spirit. Sometimes it's because of our own pride and stubbornness. We still like to think we can do it in our own strength, we can handle it. Sometimes it's because we're not prepared to let go of something. Some bad habits, some darker tendency that we know is not good for us or for the world, but it makes us feel better, or we're used to it, and so we're not prepared to let it die. So even though we've received the Holy Spirit resident within us, we're not experiencing the fullness of that Spirit because we haven't made a decision yet to allow that Spirit to lead us. Many of you are probably familiar with uh, Dr. Charles Stanley. He's probably one of the most long-standing and uh, fairly highly regarded pastors and authors uh, in our country and on TV. In one of his books, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life, he, he describes, tells the story of a decisive moment in his life. He was in his early 30s. He'd been following Christ since he was a kid. He was pastoring his third church, and doing so with some measure of fruitfulness. But he still found that he was missing some of the joy and the power that that he thought was supposed to be his in his faith. And by his own admission, he was still struggling with, with some secret sins that were just getting the better of him. And this frustration with the spiritual life had been building within him for some time and until one week he found himself getting ready to preach on this very passage, Galatians chapter 5. And as he read about the life of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, he realized he was not experiencing these things. How could he call his congregation to something that he himself was not living so one day that week, he went out to his study to try to wrestle the sermon to the ground. And as he walked out the door, he, at the last minute, grabbed a book off the bookshelf that his wife had been encouraging him to read. And there was a chapter in that book about the about uh, Hudson Taylor, the great missionary we spoke about a couple weeks ago, if you remember. Uh, who wrote about the principle of the exchanged life. We give our life for Christ's life. He lives his life through us. If you're here, remember, I did that little illustration with the pitcher of water filling up the glass to overflowing. He read about that. And as he read, Stanley realized that he wasn't experiencing that kind of life, that he'd been neglecting the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he fell on his knees in his study and cried out to God, Confessing his pride and his ignorance and his stubbornness and asking God by his Holy Spirit to fill him and begin changing him from the inside out and, and, and producing this fruit within him. And this is what he writes afterwards. It dawned on me that I'd been going through the whole thing backwards. I couldn't get over the fact that the Holy Spirit was willing and able to produce through me the very fruit i have been trying so hard to produce on my own. What a relief. A huge burden was lifted from my shoulders that afternoon. And as I walked, out of, and I walked out of my study a free man. That moment, that decision became a turning point for Dr. Charles Stanley. And for 40-some years since, he has been preaching and living joyfully and fruitfully the good news of God's grace in Christ. And sooner or later probably more than once, every Christian has to come to a decisive moment like this. When we come to the end of ourselves and admit our need and invite the Holy Spirit to do in us what we cannot do ourselves. I've come to several moments like that in my lifetime. I've told you about them before. And chances are I'll need to come to some more as well. And it could be you're at a moment like that, right about now in this season. Maybe you've been following Christ for a while, but you've really never understood the work of the Holy Spirit. But now you do. And you want to receive that that fullness of life. You're ready to, to invite Him to do that work. Maybe you've been following Christ for a while, doing pretty well, but suddenly you find yourself facing a challenge or a season or a temptation that you know is beyond you. And you need his help. Or maybe you've been following Christ, but holding on to to something that you're just not prepared to let die yet. Something that you know is not good for you, but you're just not prepared to let go of it. Those are decisive moments. And when you come to that moment, when you finally hit your knees and ask the Lord to do for you what you can't do for yourself, it's the beginning of a a new day in your experience with God. And it could be that you're at that kind of a moment today. And in just a few minutes at the end of our service, we're going to give ourselves just a few moments to kind of reflect and respond to this whole message. But before we get to that moment, we need to understand that experiencing grace and being filled with the Spirit It's more than just a one-time decision. As important as those big moments are, they're not enough to sustain us. Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so this big-time decision is followed by many, many daily decisions that we make. It's a day-by-day proposition. Just like the the branch stays connected to the vine, we stay connected to Christ and the Holy Spirit. So let me just offer a simple little acronym that might help us remember how we go about keeping in step with the Spirit. Since it's a daily thing, I'm going to use the simple word day, D-A-Y, okay? And the D stands for decision, Daily decision. As important as those big decisions are, in the end, being filled with the Spirit is a daily decision to invite the Spirit to live His life through you. It's a daily prayer. And, and when I'm in my better moments, when, when I get it right, that is a daily prayer of mine. Often it's in the morning as I get my day started. It might be a prayer that I pray out, pray out loud or write in my journal, inviting this Holy Spirit to fill me today for whatever you want me to do. Maybe I'm praying it in the car on my way to the office or some meeting. I'm praying it perhaps before I pick up the phone to make a difficult phone call. Can I just encourage you to to make it a daily practice to pray and, and invite the Holy Spirit to fill you for that particular day? The A stands for attentiveness. Attentiveness. As you make your way through the day, having invited the Holy Spirit into your day, you now become attentive to His promptings, to His nudging, to His conviction. It might be the prompting to, to just praise Him for a beautiful fall day or for a tender moment with someone that you love. It might be a nudge to reach out to somebody with a phone call or a conversation or an email. It might be the conviction that something you're thinking or feeling you're doing is not good for you or other people. Pay attention to those moments. Listen for the Spirit's prompting and nudging. And when you sense them, the third thing is to yield, to yield. If you've invited the Spirit into your day, if you're paying attention to His prompting and nudging, there will come moments when you have an opportunity to give way to the Holy Spirit. Now if you're like me, you don't like to yield. I come to yield signs on the road and I just want to f- force my way in. So Yielding does not come easily to most of us as human beings. But the wonderful thing about yielding is that once you give the thing over to God, He takes it from there. It's no longer about you gritting your teeth and trying to resist some temptation or to do the right thing. You actually find within you, as John was describing in the video, you find within you this surge of desire and ability and strength to actually do the thing you want to do and be the person you want to be. All you have to do is yield for that one moment. Now I have found in my experience that it is almost impossible having intentionally invited the spirit or named the name of christ asking him to come into a moment it's almost impossible to do that and then sin in the next three minutes just when you stop and think about all that christ has done for you and who he is in your life and then to betray that with some stupid thing you almost can't do it for about three minutes those three minutes pass and you maybe have to yield again And so sometimes the yielding becomes not just a daily thing, but it's a moment-by-moment thing. But that's how this life works. Now, our friends in the recovery movement know all about how this works. They understand that if you want to get victory over some hurt or habit or hang-up, it's going to be a day, one day at a time proposition. Now, there's probably got to be a big decision somewhere to say, I want to be done with this thing. I want to put it to death. But that one big decision is not enough. It becomes a day-by-day, sometimes moment-by-moment decision. And by the way, if you find yourself struggling with some hurt habit or hang-up that is wrecking your life and you can't get ahead of, we have a Celebrate Recovery group that meets here every Monday night in Lexington. It's a great community of people who are experiencing this kind of grace. So as we come to the end of this message and the end of this whole series, we want to allow ourselves one more opportunity to experience grace. Not just hear about it and think about it, but actually invite grace into our experience so that it shapes us. So I want to give us a chance to respond to whatever prompting you might sense from the Holy Spirit today. To to give Him a chance to begin to do a new work in our hearts. So in keeping with Paul's idea of keeping in step with the Spirit, we want to give ourselves a chance to literally take a step, to physically get up and move around and step towards God, step into this life, invite Him into our moments. So in just a minute after I wrap up on each of our campuses, we'll go into a little time of worship, just a song or two, and during that song, you have an opportunity to kind of get up when you're ready and come to a basket or a grace wall that's somewhere around your worship space and, and write something down and leave it there. So you should have had a, received a little yellow slip of paper when you came in. And you might want to write something like this. Holy Spirit, I invite you into my... And then just name some area of your life, some relationship that... that in which some challenge in which you need the Spirit's help. Just write out a sentence like that. Or you might want to write, Holy Spirit, with your help, I want to put to death and identify some unhealthy, unhappy area of your life that you want to be done with. So you can just write that down during our time of worship and and whenever you're ready, come to one of the baskets or to the grace wall, just put it there and go back to your seat and continue in worship. So we don't want you to feel rushed about it, don't want you to feel pressured about it, but want to give ourselves an opportunity to actually step into this moment and experience grace together. So whatever you'd like to do in these next few minutes, we'd like you to feel free to do them. So let me bow and lead us in a time of prayer and then we'll go to worship on our campuses. Father, we thank you for one more opportunity to think about your grace towards us, your undeserved, unbelievable goodness, your willingness and desire to come and live within us and help us be the people you would have us to be. And so, Lord, in these next few minutes, we want to open our hearts to you individually and collectively as a community. We want to invite your Holy Spirit to do whatever convicting, transforming, renewing work you need to do in our hearts. We invite you into this space. We invite you into these moments and pray that in them and by them you might indeed be shaping us into the people and the community that you would have us to be for your glory, for our good, for, the, for our joy, and for the good of the world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.